Welcome to Those Who Do, the podcast. Conversations with people about their hobbies, interests, vocations, and lives. I'm Zach Barclay, here with the Starsky to my hutch, Tony Forsmark. Jesse Trevino and Joe Smarrow are decorated Marine Corps combat veterans and former San Antonio police officers. While they were cops, Joe and Jesse worked on a groundbreaking special unit tasked with responding to mental health calls in their community. Joe was the subject of the Emmy-winning HBO documentary Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops and a TED Talk presenter. In addition to the mental health unit, Jesse also worked special drunk driving enforcement, was involved with a federal task force performing threat assessments and preventing potential active shooters, and he was the cadet training coordinator for the San Antonio Law Enforcement Academy. Through their work with the San Antonio Police Department, Jesse and Joe were able to interact with all aspects of law enforcement and first responders, exposing both the successes of the professions as well as the opportunities for improvement. Most importantly, their work on the mental health unit stoked their passion to change mental health culture in the community as well as within law enforcement. Joe and Jesse used their life experiences and sense of humor to create a successful consulting company, Solution Point Plus. Solution Point Plus has the goal of directly reaching first responders to encourage and foster positive culture change in law enforcement. This is Those Who Do Law Enforcement Culture Change with Jesse Trevino and Joe Smarrow. I don't have a speech impediment. I'm just Mexican. Don't want to be affiliated with this podcast. Welcome to another episode of Those Who Do. Uh, as usual, I'm Zach Barclay here with Tony Forsmark. And today we have the honor and the privilege to be joined uh, by two of um, my, I'll call them my friends. They'll disavow all knowledge of me, I'm sure, after they leave here today. Uh, these two guys are are pretty interesting fellas. They uh, have started their own business. You know, we like to talk about those who do, and this is kind of a thing that they have done. They've kind of defied all odds and gone in a completely different direction to change the culture of mental health and wellness in law enforcement. So uh, without further ado, we are here today with Joe Smarrow and Jesse Trevino. Hey, guys. guys, Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thank you. It's uh, both an honor and a privilege. I'm just going to inflate Joe's ego a little bit. It's both an honor and a privilege to have you here. Lord knows I could use a little help. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a true statement at all. So so demure and so uh, no, no ego on this guy at all. Thanks so, for having us, man. Yeah, any it's it's our honor. Um, you know, this is a fairly new show. Uh, but the premise here is that we like to talk to people about the thing that they do, right? So the most important thing, strangely, about the thing that is done is actually the people who are doing it. So in order to kind of get an idea of what goes into building your business and everything, we have to get to know you guys, right? So we, we kind of talked a little bit at lunch today. I made the joke about how we always talk about, you know, whatever, where did, wherever did little Joey come from? You know, where, where did little Joey and little Jesse uh, grow up and what was their, their history like? Because you guys didn't know each other as kids, right? Correct. So, so we're going to talk about where, you're, where you were as kids and then how you guys met and how that developed into building Solution Point Plus into what it is today. And, and I'll have you guys, once we get to that point, kind of explain exactly what it is that your business does and why it's so important and where your passion comes from. Beautiful. Let's start with, let's start with little Joey. Where was little Joey born? Uh, so I was born in Virginia and uh, true story, sad story. Uh, I actually have no memories prior to seven years old. So uh, we can go as deep or shallow on this as you want, but um, life at seven kind of took a turn for me. Dad was in the military. 
was on a med float. Uh, mom had an affair. And then my sister and I started getting uh, some, experiencing some abuse, molestation. And it kind of changed the course of my life, sadly. Uh, it also changed the course of my father's life, my family's life. And so my dad was uh, pushed out of the Navy uh, to become a single parent. And we moved up to New York. And that's where I spent from, I guess, seven and a half or eight years old on until I graduated high school in an, a small upstate New York little town called Lake Luzerne. And uh, graduated high school four days later, was on the Yellow Footprints in Paris Island and joined the Marine Corps. And uh, that's just a high level background of uh, where I come from. And uh, it was in the Marine Corps where I actually met Jesse. I feel like you skipped a few things, Joe. I skipped a few things. So, yeah, I mean, uh, from what I know about your show, it's like high energy and like laughs and good times. And we're about to come kicked out of the junk. So I'm not, I'm like, are you asking what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I was, but, uh, you know, we, we, we did this a little bit earlier today and there was a little bit more joviality along with it, my friend. So what was high school? What'd you do? What were you, what were your interests in high school? Yeah, Tony, what you're really getting at is, look, my pullout game was weak. So I had my first kid my senior year of high school. Is that what you're getting at? Um, You know, my my interest in high school were sports. Mm -hmm. Um, I I will tell you that my nickname was Smiley. Uh, My first bout of suicidal ideation was at 15 years old and home was not a good place for me. So uh, school really was my safe haven. It was an escape. And uh, even though my nickname was Smiley, uh, I was not in a good place at all. And what I love as I look back in reflection is this idea that there were teachers in school and coaches that without knowing any details of what was happening at home, they knew something was going on. And uh, I really, because I was a misguided, unmentored, unparented child, uh, I really, like we, we hear don't, mi- don't mistake kindness for weakness, but I truly misunderstood mm-hmm. their kindness for like thinking they wanted to be like my best friend or one of them was a, a female teacher and I thought she liked me. And so I was sending her no lie cassette tape copies of LL Cool J's music where I was uh, tonguing her down with vanilla ice cream. Um, and that was inappropriate apparently. And so she told me that, uh, that she was married Weird. and I couldn't do those things. Yeah, and so where she was really well, trying to like, is that behavior never stops. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is that so what that was, tape is? Was... Is this in my mailbox? <laughs> yeah, it's it's coming, Tony. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I, I I truly had a hard, and I will say to Jesse's point, like relationships have always been a struggle in my life because they've I just haven't had a really fair representation, and that's not an excuse. It's just my reality. And so even as a 41 year old man now that spent the last 13 years consistently in, in therapy, I'm still learning how to be in relationship. And that's both mm-hmm. like with friends and uh, uh, spouse, uh, romantic partner. So uh, it's been a struggle and uh, times were hard for sure. Uh, but I think it really helped develop character and build me into uh, the man that I am today that is out there offering the service that we do. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll end with this before I pass, which is a saying that I love. And it, it's, it says that uh, I've learned to become grateful for the things that I wish never happened. And I think that really captures uh, my story really well in one line. It's, I wish those things never happened to me or my sister or my family, but I've learned to experience gratitude in those uh, trying times because mm-hmm. it uh, lends a lot of credibility into the work that we do today. So uh, there's a couple things that are, that are, that are really cool about this. One, I appreciate how open and honest you always are with your story. I think the the amount of people that that has reached throughout your life 
and the positive impact that can have on them uh, to reduce in stigma and all the stuff that you guys are working towards is is amazing. Um, the other part is a, a little lighter. I always learn something fucking new about you <laughs> every single time I talk to you. Yeah. I did not know about your courtship of the teacher or yeah. the attempted courtship of the teacher. I mean, it doesn't surprise me even a little bit, like sure. not even a, a smidge. Yeah. Uh, but that that uh, that was new information for me that I'm really glad. And, and t- in total Joe fashion, who's done the work and been, you know, looks looks at things in high sight and like processes and, and, and wants people to know things. You reached out to that teacher. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, super grateful experience. And, 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 uh, she was an important part of his figure, uh, of his life. So he made sure she know that, uh, I'll let you tell yeah, us. No, no. And I, I share this tomorrow in one of the classes that we're actually here doing right now in Iowa. And it's this idea of gratitude, but in a letter form and looking back on your life of who's had a, a significant positive impact in your life and not just calling them or sending them a text, but actually putting pen to paper, putting it in an envelope, put a stamp on it and mail it to them. And I, I think the ripple effect of that is profound. So I did that with both um, both of my teachers. And I also did call them and follow up to uh, to talk to them and thank them with my words and let them know. And it was, a, it was an incredibly emotional experience because, I mean, I, I don't know, 15 years or so uh, has passed or 20 years has passed from, from when I did that. And to know that they got to experience that, like, hey, this student from two different things, one was a, a soccer coach, the other was an English teacher, drama teacher, but to know the impact that they had on me, that they were looking, trying to protect me, even though I highly misunderstood it uh, in an inappropriate way. But a uh, hormonal teenager <laughs> without a safe place to go home to, I was, a, I was a wreck for sure. So just looking for any way to feel validated. Drama teacher. Were you, did you do theater in high school? I did theater. I was in uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I was in Cheaper by the Dozen. I actually had to come out on stage and do a round off and uh, snap my elastic bow tie and say, the gang's all here. And it was a magical moment. And that's when I knew my documentary would come out one day. <laughs> that's not true at all. <laughs> I had no idea. Another, how, how does that never come up in conversation between the two of us? What's that? That you did, that you did theater in high school. Yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed. What? No. Tony, get him. Mm. <laughs> I'm actually not. So I'll, I'll be honest. I had a friend come. A high school friend come and stay with me a couple weeks ago, and I was thinking of like things we could do. And we have a place in San Antonio called the Tobin Center. Oh, beautiful and, facility! Yeah, beautiful. And I was like, "Hey, there's a play. Should we go see this play?" And it was called uh, Thirteen Steps. No, Thirty Nine Steps. Anyway, it was uh, old setting. It was incredible. I love I love live theater. I love play, and so um, I I do say that jokingly because. I really had a great time doing it. And I do think that there's some like, I love the idea of riffing and like the uh, whose line is it anyway has always been my improv. jam. Just coming up with stuff off the cuff. Yeah, yeah improv his, for sure. His improv is pretty fantastic considering the work we do. So we do a lot of uh, scenarios in our work and uh, he certainly, he's able to add learning value, but also entertain. And his improv is pretty, pretty, pretty spot on. I, I have no doubt in my mind that in a different life, Joe could have been an improv or stand-up comic. No doubt. Easily. No doubt. Jesse could have too, but he would have to stand really close to the audience. <laughs> Apparently in Iowa, accents get better when people get, 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 sit closer to you. Proximity. But I don't think they know what an accent is then. But yeah, that's a... Some feedback Jesse right. got once uh, from a class was that uh, the, the student had uh, difficulty understanding him, but the second day he sat closer and... Uh, he was able to uh, understand through his accent because he sat closer. So that's been a running gag for like six years now. <laughs> for your listeners, I don't have a speech impediment. I'm just Mexican. 
For those that can't see me, yeah. I am a shade of brown. Yeah. <laughs> my toper and almonds. <laughs> Before we get too far away from your your childhood, I was saying you're you're actually the color of my whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, sorry, but. <laughs> Uh, uh, before we get too far away from your childhood, yeah. uh, the one thing that I've always wanted to ask you is, so your, you know, your, your shared trauma, you and your sister, um, how does she feel about you telling her story? She's never had a problem with it. In fact, uh, it came out in the documentary and, uh, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience because it actually kind of united us. So mm-hmm. my sister and I's relationship is similar to my entire family. We have mutual love and respect for one another, but we're just not close, sadly. Um, And that's for many reasons. I think it's just lack of effort on everyone's part. I think we all just hope the other one does it and no one really does it. And uh, so I could call her right now. She would answer. She could call me. I wouldn't answer, but I would call her back. And, uh, and that's the same way with my mother, with, with everyone. And, and sadly, again, it's to no fault of them, but I just, I left home four days after high school. Mm-hmm. And the only time I ever find myself back in New York is for a funeral. And so it's very rare that I go home just to like hang out and see people. I don't, there's nobody from high school that I keep in contact with, except for Eric, who we've since hired to work for us, but no one else. And so there's, it's like, I, I wanted to get away from it all. And, um, and, and so it's just, it's not a good, safe, like, fun, exciting memory for me. And so going back always brings up a little bit of trauma specific to her though. Like she saw the documentary, loved it, appreciates it. She actually is a treatment provider at a substance use facility and she shows it to every one of her like classes and they always love it and they have great conversation about it. And so she's been really supportive. That was a great question. And I never knew that. That's awesome. I, I, and that's something I would always wondered and I just never had the opportunity to ask. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, some similarities to your to your background. Same thing left uh, day after high school. Uh, but I can tell you, as a guy who has a few more years down the road, uh, my sister and I got a lot closer as our parents have. Uh, my parents, my dad passed, and that brought us a lot closer. So I mean, it, it's those type of things. It just takes time. Uh, I know that. Plus, her her his sister married a guy from Oregon. So, I mean, you have to love her a little bit more. Do you? When that stuff like that happens. Yeah. And tell me, when you say you left a day after high school, where did you go? Uh, I went to, to work uh, at a, a camp, then I just went to college. I, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I never moved back home after that. Yeah. Right on. Gotcha. Moved on. Tony, Tony spent a lot of time in college. Yeah. You know, it, it was, yeah. well, you know. Good decade. It's, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, you could really call Tony a renaissance man of sorts. Yeah. Because uh, how many majors did you end up? Oh, I started out. Here, here we go. Ready? Started out in engineering. Uh, thought it was going to be boring after our second semester. I saw this. Uh, that was computer engineering. And there was a thing that said introduction to Laplace technology. And I'm like, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. That's boring. So then I uh, went on a journey that went from computer science or computer engineering, computer science, uh, then business, art, uh, the math, and then finally, yeah, uh, forming arts. So the traditional yeah, path, like everybody else. <laughs> Isn't that, that's everybody else's story. It does take time to get an MD, Tony. So uh, you shall be known as Doctor. Yeah, you know, Tony. I feel like I put the time in, indeed. right? So yeah, man. Yeah. A lot of people go to school that long. They call them doctors. <laughs> yeah. They can just call me Dr. Tony then. There you go. Well, we can't because there's only one doctor in your house. Well, you know. And that is Reagan. That is true. My favorite fours mark. He's not even a fours mark. Well, I mean, you guys are married. We're married. Yeah. So, but I mean, someday. He's a moss. Yeah. But someday when her and I marry, <laughs> then 
What kind of show is this? So a lot of times when I go visit Tony, Tony will do something deplorable or mean to his wife. And I always have to remind her, I always am on her side. I see. Yes. Now, let's be clear. Deplorable and mean does not mean uh, uh, physically violent or... (laughs) You're not not waterboarding her or anything, Tony. That's not physical. There's There's no touching. (laughs) Right. <laughs> on, on, on the waterboarding that's that's, 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 that's been cleared right, right that's been cleared i think <laughs> yeah it's mostly just dopiness by on his part but i just like reagan to know that if i have to choose a side it's it's gonna be because she's the reasonable one of the two and you know if i have to count on somebody it's gonna be the doctor good for you tony so uh moving on <laughs> jesse Zach is gonna Zach. Zach's gonna Zach. <laughs> oh, uh, one last question. Uh, so, did you choose uh, the Marines uh, because your father was uh, in the uh, armed forces, or is that uh, something that came just in a different path? No. So, yeah, I I chose the Marine Corps because Eric, who was my high school best friend, he was in the delayed entry program as a senior, and so he knew he was going into the Marine mm-hmm. Corps. And as soon as uh, they found out that my girlfriend at the time was pregnant, he said, uh, hey, I'm going to talk to the recruiter and see if there's anything they can do, which, of course, they were like, of course there is. And so the Marine Corps recruiter showed up and talked to me and basically sold me the dream. I'll never have to pay for anything. They'll cover for my daughter's insurance. Mm-hmm. Like, life will be grand. Uh, I can even play soccer in the Marine Corps, which is what I wanted to do after high school. Well, you um, did. You played soccer. I did get to play soccer. He didn't lie. I played one time in Iraq against shoeless children. <laughs> Uh, on traveling dirt roads, and they were good. Uh, I don't think yeah. so. Honestly. No, you guys didn't win. I, I was security, and I watched the whole thing. It was kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, sadly, it was the only thing they won that year. So, <laughs> and thus the improv comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah, I the, thought shoot him was bad. The uh, the Marine Corps recruiter showed up and and sold me the dream. So mm-hmm. I signed up. And, um, right away, I mean, as soon as high school was done, it just lined up on the timing to go down to boot camp. and, uh, yeah, started uh, down in Paris Island in my boot camp, and then, uh, went to my specialty school and that's where I actually met Jesse. So yeah, I definitely didn't grow up wanting to be a patriot, be a military. It wasn't, it wasn't because my dad was in the Navy. Uh, I had no desire to be in the armed forces just as I had no desire to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is an interesting thing we'll talk about as far as I didn't really start taking like ownership of my life until I was probably about 37, which is only four years ago. So, um, but yeah, we'll discuss that more later. Uh, did you and Eric, you and Eric didn't end up in the same unit, did you? No, no. So we went to boot camp together and then didn't talk for 22 years. And now you work with him. And now he works for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking man. So it's, there's that, some of that serendipity again, Tony. It just keeps coming up. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's, it's, Is that a theme that comes in, in your interviews a yeah, lot? Yeah, very, very much so. When we talked to uh, Joe Stillman, uh, he he kind of he kind of broke the glass on it, and now we've been seeing it come up. Anyone who's successful, uh, it, it's been as a result far more of serendipity than it has been of skill or hard work. There's a well, I wouldn't say skill or hard work as opposed to the what. Well, I was just going to say that it's 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 not absent skill and hard work, but it's it's. It's it's that it's that special sauce, yeah, it's I, that, I, that one that special thing that pops in. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I'd probably lay it more out as uh, it, the path plotted gets diverted by serendipity. You know, and right. so and it, it's things that people had planned to do, 
<laughs> 10 years of school. Right, right? 100%. Yeah, okay. You know, I have this plan. I'm going to do it. And then, you know, where do I end up? Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would say there's definitely work involved, but it's the serendipitous part is just like it didn't go down the path that you were expecting. Right. It's not absent the work. It's it's the it's the idea of maintaining being present so that you don't miss mm-hmm. opportunities that you would not have expected. Like that's come up a shit ton. Yeah, like that I imagine so. And I would argue serendipity is truly the act of being aware mm-hmm. yeah. because it probably happens far more than people even realize. And so, and so when you're on your path and you're operating within your proper lane, you're far more aware of the things that are like planted before you. And and. Again, they know luck favors the prepared. So uh, I, I think it's it's all things in time and space coming together. And uh, we definitely are not short of that. We've had a lot of those moments that have led to our success as a business. Absolutely. Well, well and I mean, minus the, you know, living in ultimate peril, fighting for our nation. Uh, Tony and I's relationship really mirrors your guys's. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> did, did we mention that we were at a play together? That's, yes, uh, yeah. it's like, a, it's, I mean, it's like really- trench work. I got to tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and really, it's it's odd because of the way that you know in college we we would go out drinking occasionally together, and we were in uh in some shows together and stuff. But we didn't become super close until I would say five to ten years after we graduated. Mm. To where to where now you know we talk if not on a semi daily basis, I would say a, certainly a weekly mm. basis, and that was prior to to coming up with this project together. So it was just kind of like at, at the right time, Tony and Reagan were in Iowa City and Tony's like, hey, let's meet for lunch. And we went down to, what was that? The, the pig and whistle. Pig and, the, pig and whistle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, you got to yeah. go there, man. It's great. Yeah. You ever eat? You, you spent yeah, a lot of time been there. Yeah. It's a pizza joint, yeah. like a like an English pub style pizza joint. Yeah. Joe met his uh, wife in Iowa City, Johnson County. So. I'm sure there's all kinds of places down there. So all kinds of dirty Hawkeye places. <laughs> I'd say stop making fun of my dog, but I, I, I can't. He's. I, I believe there should be an entire episode on your dog. <laughs> Those who do, or at the very least, a study. <laughs> Those who do, eyes that don't point in the same direction yeah. with Bert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but I mean, it, it, you know, similar with I think it were not for serendipity, uh, Tony and I wouldn't be as close as we are. And now he's one of my best friends. So uh, congratulations, like, by the way. What a, a great uh, concept for a show. And uh, the guess you guys already had. I don't want to give anything away, but I mean, you guys are doing amazing. So congratulations. Well, the good news is Thank by you. the time they air ours, they're already going to know all the guests they've ever had. Cause I promise we're going to be the last one ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the last one ever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap guys. Stay in the hopper. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot, Joe. This is the motherfucker who's always trying to convince me to like put in more work, cut the ties, <laughs> do more things to like, to like finally pull the trigger. And then he's like, Hey, I'm glad you had us on because this thing's going to fail. <laughs> I don't actually believe that at all. <laughs> no, I uh, think he was yeah. actually saying, we're going to bury this show till the end. Cause it's not going to be good. That's exactly yes. what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So when, when Tony and I are 80, yeah. well, when Tony's 90 and I'm 80, then we'll be able to, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was highly implied that this would be the least priority show to be released ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who implied that. Well, I mean, I don't know. Bert might be before you, but I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't blame it. I, I find this Bert is creature to be far more interesting. <laughs> feel so loved right now. I bet he is straight up panting into that microphone too. <laughs> no, he's not. I think he's looking at it. No. Don't look at me like that, poop mouth. He's just yeah. he didn't like that. You hurt his feelings. <laughs> he didn't like that because I didn't have poop to produce for him to eat. Oh. You 
fucking menace. Wow. So, so, so we, uh, there, there was a time for a while that I was afraid he was going to be my dog instead of Hank. What, what does he have now? Uh, it's either a human femur or a pipe. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Like it's his, probably his fake, oh, yeah. fake bone. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was afraid that Bert would end up being mine and Hank would end up being Jenny's. And I was like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> It like, seems right though. Like, can Actually, I be any for you say that? That 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 tracks. Shut up, you. <laughs> so what about uh, what about Jesse? Not, not to be like the super correcting guy, but did you meet Jess in Iowa or did you meet her in Bear County? In Bear County, right? She came. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because yeah. she came down to visit. Right, right. Yeah, oh, well, that's yeah, different. That's right. Bear County. That's, that's not Johnson County at all. You know what I'm stuck on repeatedly? It is not fucking Bear County. I don't know who taught them motherfuckers English. Bexar. Yes. Bexar. <laughs> but say that to them and see what happens. It like gets, it. I'm <laughs> sure it has to do something with like Mexican Indian heritage or some wildness yeah, or something. Yeah, it's Bejar. Bejar. I think yeah. there was a Spanish pigeon that came in uh, after um, Johnny Crockett fought in the Alamo and the, the pigeon got into some acid and they were like, <laughs> we're going to name this pigeon Bayar. <laughs> You can and, go the and that is why every college student must take Texas history. Yes. <laughs> <In> Texas. <laughs> and people in Iowa so wanted to honor that pigeon. <laughs> no, but so she was on an open face sandwich before we were even like a, a real business or a concept or I, I imagine it was in his head already, but she was coming down because they heard there were good things were happening in San Antonio and Bear County and they wanted to see what was going on. And he had been in some new stuff and some clips and she was already referring to him as a mental health whisperer before she knew who he was. So they would send all, cause we would do these trainings on our department when we were cops um, several times a year. So they were just sending cops from Johnson County by the dozen. And that's when they met and uh, it all went from there. Serendipity. So she is kind of the reason. Yeah. She's, she is the reason we ever came to Iowa period. That would have never happened otherwise was, was for his wife. And, and most people would be like, so now we know who to blame, but you motherfuckers work here a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Over 105 trainings. It's not bad right now. I just don't know. I, I tell this, I say this probably too much, but I, I feel like the guy that's always bitching about it, but I didn't know negative 28 was a thing on earth until Iowa. Um, all I knew ever knew was Texas, but you guys survive. Yeah. See Zach, uh, it's say. cold. Yeah. It's cold. It's Where are you at, Tony? I'm in, I'm in L.A., but I came back one year and it was cold. What part? It was cold and Zach was making fun of me. I was like, I... Yeah, he wore a coat. It was 70 degrees. He wore a coat. It was not a... He's in, in Northridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, these dudes wear shorts and flip-flops in 32. Oh, I know. I, I mean, I grew up in Iowa, so yeah. it's, it, it, I, I just oh, okay. hate going back. You're just living <laughs> life a lot better. Yes. <laughs> I hate going back, he says, and forgets that he promised me he's going to fly back half the time. Uh, yeah, that doesn't mean I'll enjoy it. <laughs> well, I just, lo- I just lost you. Where'd you go? Well, I lost you. You lost what me? Yeah, I lost I him. Did you get him? Did yeah. you get his joke? Because I did. Yeah, I got oh, him. Oh, it's great. I'm using one of the gir- girls' headphones, so I don't even know where he this thing's He looks spectacular. His punchline was he was hoping for a different co-host. Was that, was that it, Tony? Engineer. He's my... He, oh, engineer. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's never going to get old. That's... That is my favorite of all of his jokes, where he introduces me to industry people as simply as his engineer. <laughs> like, hey, welcome to my podcast. This is Zach. He's my engineer. I'm like, you motherfucker. Electrical to be specific. <laughs> I was going sanitation, but you know. Might as well call me a carny. Thanks. Appreciate it. It is cattle congress. Yeah, it is cattle congress. You won't even catch me there, and I'm about as white trash as they come. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, Zach just lost all local listeners in Waterloo. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Jesse's background. Uh, yeah, so I 
I was uh, born and raised in a small town uh, near the border of Texas and Mexico called Carrizo Springs. And um, uh, I never thought I'd leave there. I I have um, I had a rough childhood uh, as well. So I um, was mainly raised by by women, my, my mom, my aunt, my grandmother, because my dad early on was, uh, he had problems with drugs, uh, in and out of the criminal justice system, uh, abusive. And I was the oldest of four. And, um, I, uh, kind of put it, took it upon myself to try to like, I guess, protect my family. I started working as early as 14. And then, um, I was starting to get fed up with small town life and, uh, everything that comes with it. And I thought I was going to be a musician actually. So I, at the time I would play guitar and what we would call Tejano bands, which is Spanish for Texas, but it, it, I guess the equivalency I could say is like Mexican and country coming together and having a baby. That's the type of music that I would make. And believe it or not, it was hot in the 90s, I swear to God. Um, but it, it is not. So I guess the most famous person that will ever come out of Tejano music would be Selena mm-hmm. uh, for context. So we were playing that kind of music and I would work at a Dollar General in our small town. And uh, one day I'm a Marine Corps recruiter walks in and I never had any aspirations to join the Marine Corps. I never thought about it. I knew nothing about the military Marines. And uh, he tapped me on the shoulder. And then two weeks later, man, uh, he sold me the dream. I, I think the biggest thing for me was because... I believe I was of sound mind enough to like make a decision for myself. But I think what kept me up that night before I went and signed with the recruiter was I had been raised by women only and I didn't have like a father figure. So I thought I had to do something to make myself up man, like I needed to do something radical. And uh, so I go to the Marines and I get there and, you know, I'm there and it's not too bad. I'm in this like room with other people and the drill instructors will talk to us and like they're making us clean the floor and we're there for a few days. And I remember like brushing the floor with this, like they called it a scuzz brush, but it's like a bristle brush. I'm scrubbing the floor. And I think, I think I could do this, man. You know, 12 weeks, I can handle this. This isn't bad at all. Like (laughs) I can do this. What I didn't know was I was at a place called receiving platoon. So it's like a special place where like while, while everyone else comes in from the country and we get enough numbers to start a whole platoon and kick off training, you're just going to hang out here and clean shit. So I thought it was like, this isn't too bad. I mean, it sucks, but I can survive this. Nah, man. So like after day three, they're like, get all your, get all, they called it trash or stuff was your trash. Get all your trash and get outside. And like, we like marched over and put us in a squad <laughs> bay. And then the real shit happened. Um, and, and, and I was like, oh shit, what have I done? That, so I had the, what have I done moment several days later. <laughs> So, I mean, I was a survivor through boot camp. I just kept my head down and just one day at a time. And uh, at the end of boot camp, there's like this evolution called the crucible. It's a three-day evolution. It's a lot of walking. And you got to do this to earn the, the emblem, which is an igloo and anchor. It's like a rite of passage. So it's a lot of walking. It's three days. You don't sleep much and you get one meal. You got to ration it. One meal over three days? Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. So at, on day one, I'm like, my foot really hurts a lot, but I was not going to say that to anybody because there was no way... In hell, I was ever doing any of this again. So I'm just like popping ibuprofen like candy and just pushing through. Afterwards, like you get the Eagle Globe and Anchor and you're a Marine, you're all crying and like you go back to garrison and you feel safe. I felt safe enough to say, hey, my foot hurts. Then I go see the doc and I had a broken foot, uh, turns out. And and I say that that injury was serendipitous. Serendipity. Because I got held back from my cohort, right? So I, I had to stay at the depot. I was a Marine, right? So it wasn't too bad. I just looked like a funny Marine with a, with a cast and boot. And uh, I... Finish my healing. I go to the fleet, and my first roommate was Joseph Samaro. Right here, baby, and, uh, baby. I, I have never got rid of this guy ever since. Right, so it was all a dream. Yeah, he used yeah. to reward up magazine. Yeah. <laughs> 20, Twenty-three years later, man, here we are. So yeah, that was uh, just a poor Mexican kid from Crystal Springs, just trying to get out of the the shithole that I was in, and uh, 
the Marine Corps did that for me. I had no idea what I was have to go through after that. Uh, but yeah, two deployments with this guy, OEF, OIF. So uh, did you guys both make the move to law enforcement together as well? No. Uh, so I guess I'll let Joe tell the story of why Texas. He tells it better than I do, but I didn't have any, I never, th- I wanted to, I thought I was going to be an attorney, if anything. And after I got like attorney and, and tax law down, maybe I joined the FBI, uh, but that didn't happen at all. Yeah. And he, so there was a, there was a piece of Jesse that entertained law enforcement because we actually took the test together. So how I ended up in Texas was it was time to get out of the Marine Corps. Jesse was oh, getting yeah, out did, about right? two or three months before me because he had joined before me. And uh, so we came down here together to get our apartments put in the down, uh, the deposit on the lease. And then the way San Antonio used to do it was there was one test every year. And there was about 2,500 to 3,000 people that would take that test every year. And so Jesse and I both took it while we were here. And I, th- I thought you were going to tell them uh, that you'd never seen Texas and you thought, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so we took it <laughs> while we were here. But before that, when, when he was entertaining this idea of like, hey, you should move to Texas, my response to him was, hey, bro, I'm not a farmer. And he looked at me puzzled. Now, again, I'm from New York, stationed in California. (laughs) And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, dude, Texas is just ranch farmland. He was like, no, bro, San Antonio is like a big city. In fact, it's a large city. And I was like, I don't know why you lied to me like this. Like, we're friends. (laughs) And so he's like, no, man, like, trust me, drive out there with me. And so we drove from California to San Antonio. And as soon as we got through El Paso for the next probably seven hours, (laughs) I was like, yep. (laughs) not happening, dude. There's no world in which I'm going to live out here in this desert. And he was like, just wait, man, just wait. So anyway, we first stopped by his mom's down in Carrizo. She introduced me for the first time in my life to a Edelmira Ibarra homemade tortilla that put like warm butter on it with a little salt. It changed my life forever. And that's when I knew I need me a good Mexican. And so um, I moved to South Texas um, and I was married at the time with my daughter, we got divorced right away. Uh, she moved up to Dallas. But then um, what was interesting is Jesse actually, we didn't, so you get five pre- preferential points for being a veteran after you're out. But because we were both still active duty in the Marine Corps, we didn't get any points. Jesse scored a 95 raw score. I scored a 93 raw score. And and so then he moves out here. He gets a job at American Funds and they call him for the next step, which is the PT test. He's like, nah, I'm good. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I, I'm only two points behind him. Like, I'm going to get a phone call tomorrow. Well, I didn't realize that out of the 2,500 people that take it, the difference between a 95 and a 93 was probably about 180 people. And so they never a, called me. It was me a very the, different time then. The, 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 nev- the whole year, they never called me. We were competing with a pool of 5,000 applicants. Very different time then. So then the next year, uh, so I moved to San Antonio. I got a job at Travelocity, um, not booking travel, but even better, doing security at a call center because why not? Um, and then uh, went from there to Fort Sam Houston, was doing the contract security, checking IDs at the gate. And then- uh, I, try, I tried to get you a job at American Funds too. Yeah. But then I, I took the test again the following year. I got a 95 plus I got my five points. And so it gave me a hundred and I got called right away, did the PT, passed everything, got in. And as soon as I became a cop, I was like, dude, you got to do this, man. It's fun. You get paid good money. It's consistent. Like you got to do this. And he's like, nah. I'm good, man. I'm good sitting here in this cushy office job, looking at people all day, interacting with normal humans. Life is good for me. And uh, so he denied me. And then 2008 happened. Dun, dun, dun. So, so in that year, how many kids did you have and how many times were you married? Whoa. Uh, which year? That, that one year between the two tests. Uh, no, I was, I was getting divorced and I only have one kid. After had, he got divorced, he had the other kid. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I had my second kid with my 
ex-wife after we got divorced. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we could still get along. <laughs> yeah, he, he comes He comes in. He comes to my house and he's visiting. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He sits down. I give him a beer and he's like, uh, Chris is pregnant. And I was like, damn, dude, like she met somebody, I guess. And who's the father? And he looked at me like, you dumb motherfucker. <laughs> like, he's like, I am. Well, he and says I was, that. But when Christine called me and said, hey, I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, congrats. Like, that's cool. And she was like, no, dumbass, it's yours. I'm like, no, it's not. There is no world. And it turns out she wasn't lying. So that it was fun. It took Joe quite a while to realize that he has superhuman sperm. It took him a little bit to figure it out. And uh, I know yeah. the listeners Are we allowed to say superhuman right sperm on this? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It, this is new. It's people that do. <laughs> Other people Indeed. that do. Other people. Yes. <laughs> and Indeed. while this isn't a video podcast and you can't see it, as I look at Zach right now, he's actually getting pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's actually my child. I'm like, that's fucked up because I'm like two years older than you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, when they when they started laying people off left and right uh, during the financial crisis, it, it was clear that I didn't want to stay there, that I, it was every man for himself. It was just a weird time. And I, you know, everyone, like everyone knew that nothing was safe. So public safety was. So there go I and uh, start the whole process over. And eventually in 2009, I get a call. And they told me that I was going to start the academy in 09. And then they said, nope, we're canceling the class. We're going to wait. And then in 2010, in January, I started the academy. Why'd they cancel the class? They ran out of crime. Because back then, there would have been plenty. Mm -hmm. They ran out of crime. Yeah. Well, that's because... That's because Joe Smart already worked there. They were fresh out of fucking crime. <laughs> That's that right. The city's <laughs> biggest crime fighter. Never, never year. <laughs> yeah. So you then start the academy the next year, or yeah. is it? Yeah. So the, uh, my original academy date was like I think October 09, and then I understand starting January 10, or maybe it was. I think. Uh, you know, I don't know what, what it was. Maybe I got bumped or something, but I know, I remember I was supposed to start in 2009 and I quit American Fund. They're like, no, you're not starting until January 10 now. I'm like, oh shit, I don't have a job. Ugh. So I was like working like three jobs until the academy started. Tell him the truth. He was cutting my yard. He never cut my yard. All right. <laughs> I was like, See, and I thought I was, I was thinking I was an asshole earlier for wanting to make a joke about a Mexican, like thinking, oh, cleaning's easy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come in with this bullshit and I'm like, well. I'm not the asshole I thought I was. Mine wasn't race related. I was just helping a friend. No. <laughs> we lost Tony. Whoa. He's like, fuck this racist oh, yeah, yeah. shit. I'm out. He's <laughs> like, these racist Don't want to be affiliated with this podcast. <laughs> I don't, I don't know think where he's grabbing went. a drink. <laughs> he went to chase a cat. Oh, he's chasing a cat out of there. Oh, Get out here, <laughs> Bye, Tony. The first time Tony's touched them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's great because I do the editing. It can stay in. <laughs> I will say that, you know, this is the first time I've recorded drinking whiskey with folks and I like it. I'm enjoying this very yeah. much, though. This is, this is, this is good times. Yeah. What as, soon as, as soon as Tony comes back, let's all take our picture. Tony, I appreciate you being the anti-racist oh. and walking away from this nonsense. Thank you. <laughs> which uh, which cat was that? Uh, that was the youngest, Bixby. He was on the porch and decided he was, he was going to start crying all over the place. So now he's with the girls. He's uh, That's the second time he's been on the show. Yeah, well, you know, he's... He's a cat for radio. He's sweet. He straight up made love to a microphone on the episode. I don't think I've edited that one yet, but uh, it was hot. Uh, uh, Tony... People probably already know, but I don't, because uh, Zach's not as good as a friend as you say. But uh, what, what do you do? I didn't say that. He said it. I, I yeah, yeah. I know. What What do you do out there in LA? Uh, I'm an actor. Oh, you're an actor. Yeah, yeah. Right so on, when man. you, yeah, so when you were talking about the uh, theater, that's why Zach uh, thought he should punch in. Love it. You hurt my feelings so bad. No, actors don't have feelings. 
No, everything's everything's fake. Show. No, I, yeah, right. I mean, anything you see from me is all pre-programmed. <laughs> you soulless fake monster. All right, so you guys are now. You started the academy. Yes. Okay. And Joe's already worked. Correct. So you get through the academy. Yeah. And and uh, so I remember being in the, in the academy and uh, this guy and uh, other guys from the mental health unit like come into a training. And I'm like, oh shit, like he's doing pretty cool. That's like awesome for him. And then like, as I go through now for me, like here I go being serious again, but I, so I graduate uh, president of my class. Like I am all in, like I embrace it. And I am on this thing where not knowing that I want to punish the world for all the shit that happened to me. And I think that I can fix the world for all the shit that happened to me by being this like super badass, tough cop. Um, and he is like on TV all the times. But I want to uh, take a moment know, to and Jesse yeah. and encourage the listeners that like, this is why I think our stuff works well is because of the difference in who we are. Jesse and I are very different. He is the president of his class. I was the guy that would tape vacuum cleaners to a person in class that we didn't like chair so that he couldn't sit down in time. So he would get in trouble like a total douche monkey, um, class clown throughout my whole life. Just always joking to distract away from the fact that I'm a crying soul. And so uh, I just like to have a lot of fun and don't take a lot serious. But Jesse was a freaking dedicated, committed, smart. It was the same thing in the Marine Corps. Like he got so much shit in the Marine Corps for using a brain, which the Marine Corps is not used to or enlisted doing. And so he would get a lot of shit for being too smart. And if you tell a Marine, like, take the hill for me, I'm going to be like, yes, sir. And not understand why you tell Jesse to take the hill. And he's going to be like, well, actually, I just measured the results of this. And I think there would be a better option. And if we actually went this way, it would save energy and the it's less inertia, <laughs> there's less gravity pull. We would actually get there with way more uh, uh, energy left in the tank. And they were like, what in the hell is wrong with you, dude? Like, you are way too smart to be doing this shit. Jeez. And so that's kind of been his path. But it also, again, 23 years later works. And I want you to get back to your story, Jesse. But I just think it's important to think about, like, whether you're looking at friendships or partnerships or everything in business I've ever been told is do not ever get into business with friends or family. Now, we've got Zach and Tony here who are, like, launching this incredibly epic podcast that are just going to reach and touch a lot of people's lives and bring people in. But while they were in theater together and while they were uh, have similar interests, right now, they're still very different people. I mean, Tony's obviously, like, done something with his life. And then there's Zach. Who works at Target. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding, bro. Not that there's anything wrong with Target, I guess, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to bring the carts in, okay? Yeah, it's, absolutely, it's, yeah. Otherwise, it'd be a mess. You know, I have seen him do it without any sling, so he's he's pretty shit hot. Reflective vests are fucking sexy. <laughs> they are. No, but <laughs> oh, there yeah. is some, there, Joe Austin says this, and I, I, I agree. He says that he is the heart of the operation, and I'm the brain, which I don't know if it says a lot or not, but there's something to that. So I believe the dude's an embodiment of love, and, and I'm like, I, I believe to me, like, you know, maybe more logical or rational or uh, maybe a realist, if anything, but it's, it's, it's worked well that we have this yin and yang and balance in our friendship and in, and now to the business. But yeah, so that we definitely had different paths in the academy. That's for sure. And y you did something to me when I was in the academy. Uh oh. In true Joe fashion. Almost I don't remember, did. but I believe it. <laughs> he doesn't remember at all. So Joe took a lot of pictures of me on uh... ship. When we were in the Marines. <laughs> I remember. They weren't very flattering ones either. And I uh, broke some headphones that I would wear. And these big ass Sony headphones that we bought on ship. And then like. Put it this way. It looks yeah. worse than Zach right now. And yes. <laughs> you look. You look stellar right now. Cooper. I had to save them somehow. So I used like. Like. Uh, like injury tape. 
shit you'd wrap your ankle with to like keep them together. So he took a picture of me that. He also took a picture of me shirtless, like flexing, just fucking around. He goes to the academy <laughs> while I'm a cadet there. While I'm a cadet there nice. and posts we the are pictures the and tapes them throughout the entire hallway and the instructors find them. Yeah. So I mean, that's a sexy picture. I mean, nice. I, I just, so just yeah. fucking around I, is the <laughs> Jesse can get laid whenever he wants picture is what that right. is. Thank, thank you, Zach. I don't think that's accurate in any way, but thank you. Well, that's because you're humble. And, and, and it caused a lot of shit for me that week. And he didn't wait till I was like there a while. Like, he's like, let's do this shit week one. Um, so, yeah, that's true Joe fashion. But yeah, uh, I, I went hard in the academy. And then when I became a cop, I broke out thinking that you, you just arrest everybody and uh, bang heads together and you're going to, you know, arrest the problem away. And I was a very, very angry man. That's better than the photo that got taken uh, and posted of me when I was in college. I got beat up by an ex-girlfriend. Damn. Like, wow. Fucking rock. Mm-hmm. Like, Tony's like, nodded his head like... Now, 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 to be fair, she played softball in high school. So, uh, I mean, we were fairly evenly matched, except for the part where she beat me up. I want to say I appreciate your effort to protect Jenny in this, because we know it was your wife. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my Jenny would have finished the job. My, my wife would be like, I would not have fucked him when he was in college. There's no Jeez, way. This, he, she just he, said that yesterday. He, didn't, <laughs> he did not embrace the fact that he was going bald. He looked weird. His hair looked gelled, even though it wasn't. I don't know how that happens physically or genetically. Yeah, there's no way. But so I get beat up by this girl. And then one of the guys that lives on my dorm floor takes a picture he had of me, puts it all over campus. Do not date this man. He is violent towards women. And I'm like, but you're the one with your ass kicked. Yeah. Cause I was like, yeah, I violently threw my face directly into her fist over and over. I was like, if I'm taking her down, her fist is going with me. Like, no, there's no. Just to be clear, Zach is not a violent man. No. Let's not get him canceled. He's not a violent man. (laughs) Oh, if I was going to get canceled, it would have happened a long time ago. (laughs) Have you seen any of my stand up, Jesse? I have a, I have a joke about the zombie apocalypse that does not shine favorably on me and uh, people with the mental disabilities. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Save this man, Tony. I mean, save it, him, please. I mean, it's it's really it's really fucking funny, but uh, I could not get away with it these days. Yeah. <laughs> Different times. Different times. I will say this: it depends on how likable you are. the The more likable you are, the further you can push the envelope. And I know this. I don't like where this is going by working with this man for so long. I could never say a sixteenth of what this man says and get away with it. But he says, and it just. Works. I was in a room with him recently where he says, Did you have your pants loud, on? This time, yes. Yes. Uh, th- out loud, he says, I don't know anyone who's counted as much sperm as Zach. <laughs> and rather than the room getting uncomfortable, <laughs> they're like, Oh, this guy's a look at Joe. He's, you know what? He's I'm killing it. home to meet mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, What the fuck? They laughed so hard at that. <laughs> and I got up and left the room. <laughs> And, and, and what do I do? I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. Because <laughs> I can't compete with this motherfucker. When he is on, he is on. I don't know like, if he's ever off. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like when he, I, like I normally I can go toe to toe improv wise with pretty much anybody, but this motherfucker gets going. It's like a freight train and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just like, hey, could you get further away so people couldn't understand you? <laughs> exactly. Back up a little bit. Yeah, back up a little bit. We have Not got a lot of feedback time. about our acting skills. It's uncanny. And yeah. as, a, as an instructor, I, I found it to be, initially, it, it bothered me because I'm like, but what about my presentation? What about my PowerPoint? <laughs> PowerPoint. I, I, <laughs> well, there's that one with the bad color font. I mean, you got to. Yeah, yeah. 
Did you fix that yet? You should have. I, I should have. There's a period <laughs> where it shouldn't be. But oh no, no that's not. Now, now, I've, now I've embraced um, embraced it. I really have. Uh, Phenomenal I, actor. I would have never thought Far about it. Far superior to me, without a doubt. Incredible. Oh God. I, I, I oh God. Just got brain cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I would have. I would have never known what to do with that feedback. But now I'm just like embrace it. Yeah. But it. It has helped the uh, the business for sure. Right so here. let's let's talk about what you guys uh, guys do. How did that form? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in order to get the answer to that you got to back up a little bit back into San Antonio PD. Okay, Jesse kind of glossed over it. He he talked about Joe and the mental mm-hmm. health unit coming and speaking, but like I think that's where it it, it begins, right? The yeah. So my journey into mental health start. So I actually got on the mental health unit in '09, and if Jesse came through in 2010, then yeah, it all lined up well. But um. When the San Antonio Police Department Mental Health Unit started in 09, it was just a pilot program, six months, kind of like, let's see what you got. And the original two officers were there and it was all data driven and they had some great numbers. And so then the chief was like, yeah, let's let's make this a unit. And so it grew to four officers and one sergeant. And that's when I got I, on. I guess it maybe now that I'm thinking about it, it just hit me like maybe to explain what the unit did or was. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot happening here. This is what happens when you do like a podcast in two different cities. Los Angeles and Waterloo, Iowa, which are very similar. And then you you have Tony, which is one of the main co-hosts, Chasing Cats. You got Zach pounding a bottle of Buffalo Trace. It is chaos. This dog just jumped on you, dude. I've got aspartame in my lap now. Like, <laughs> oh, God. I hope he didn't so, eat poop. He just gave you a full-on French kiss. Back back to business here. Yes. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, the mental health unit was a plainclothes unit that was responsible for responding to any calls in the city that were mental health related. And it was an alternative approach, kind of a less um, uniform-based, less authoritative type of response. And we had great success. And so the unit went from the pilot of two to a unit of four to, well, they referred to us as a detail, to then uh, we went up to six and 10 and it kept growing. But as we were doing the job, we were also providing the training throughout the department, mental health training, crisis intervention training. Any first responder knows it's a 40 hour mental health introduction. And so we were doing that and we were doing that for years. And so we were kind of a dual hatted unit responding to the community in crisis and also training our department on mental health and de-escalation techniques uh, how to better respond to these types of situations. So uh, again, I have been doing that for years. Once Jesse had a handful of years on, I started actively recruiting him. One, because I wanted my best friend to like work with me. But two, I knew that he brought a skill set that we did not have, that we were lacking. And Jesse will tell you simply that we were good at getting on TV, but we were terrible at counting things. And again, <laughs> he's a data-driven guy. He knows how to write grants. He knows how to get stuff done. And so um, he was a, he was an asset to our unit. And so uh, while he had a diverse career that um, he did many different things, including promoting, I just went from patrol to mental health and then I stayed there until I resigned after 15 years. I mean, you'd found your calling. For sure. Yeah. And I, and I tell people too, that the, the mental health unit like truly uh, didn't just like introduce me to what I was passionate about, but it, it really did save my life. And um, yeah, I was just really, really blessed to find that because it didn't exist when I started in 05. And I was just really grateful that um, that it was developed and that I was able to be a part of it. And as like a, I guess what ended up being a, a path change for that unit, you is an, an indirect function, a, a function of the unit that no one considered or knew about was this, it was like this hidden thing was the unit also addressed officers in crisis. Whenever officers were having their mental health issues, the unit would respond uh, often, you know, under the guy, would operate co- with uh, confidentiality. And that's where he really started to shine. And as he did that work, which they kind of pushed him into initially and he embraced it, he also discovered that there was a lot of issues within 
our organization, with culture, with policies. And he became very vocal with these challenges. And that started the- With tact. Yeah, it, it, it started this, um, I guess, a, a type of notoriety for him. Uh, and initially, it was uh, well-received and, and uh, people would listen. And then that became his calling to where the point where that was like his main function for that unit for a while. For me, I, I bounced around. So I started on the inner city west side of San Antonio in patrol, you know, doing what I thought I needed to do. Which was specifically? Arresting everybody, man. Okay. Like I, I, I thought I wanted to go to narcotics. I wanted to be a, a gang detective. I, I thought I had my my career planned out. So I treated everyone like shit. And I looked down on everybody that lived in poverty, that messed with drugs and held drugs. I just judged the shit out of everyone. But morally because I was trying to get back at my dad who wasn't even part part of this, you know? So then uh, two people close to me got killed in the line of duty. Um, and they were both killed by drunk drivers. So an academy classmate and then my partner. And now I have something new to be mad at. So I went to, uh, it's a big problem in San Antonio, drunk drivers. And as a matter of fact, that there's two crimes that my people are found to be to do a lot of what do you mean your people brown people man oh so yeah, yeah. well specifically it's, it's, though because yeah. specifically yeah so hispanic correct yes yes brown people oh uh, you, uh, you, you wanted yep. mexican-americans yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i believe this podcast above all others is politically correct and yeah. we need to be sensitive with language just, zach will never get me to say latinx i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I just did. Damn it. Anyway. I thought it was just Latina. <laughs> Latin, Don't assume. Yes. Yeah, Don't it's Latin assume. former Twitter. <laughs> the stats will tell you that family violence and drunk driving are, are something to do a lot of, right? So it's a big problem in our, in our city. Or it, it has been. So uh, I got new, something new to be angry at. So I went to uh, the drunk driving task force and I was there for a while. I arrested a lot of people. I was never sleeping. I was in graduate school. It was just a mess. And then uh, finally, when he's offering a job over there, I went. Now I went reluctantly. I was like, yeah, you know, this whatever. Uh, weekends off, plain clothes, get to use what I learned in school. Cool. I, I didn't realize what I would learn in the unit. And uh, it was cool to watch my best friend who wasn't a public speaker in the Marine Corps, right? Wasn't, uh, he was a funny guy and he always made people laugh. But he wasn't who he is today. The public speaker, like the the change agent, like the inspirer, a leader. And I was just watching him do his thing. And I was like, man, like he's really grown as a person. And also I learned that it wasn't just about like, you know, hugging thugs or like uh, progressive policing. It was very, very insightful because this is where we first discovered a theme of our organization now, which is like, Everything starts within you. We learned as now as an organization that we teach people like you just can't teach de-escalation or crisis intervention. Like everything starts within you because you can teach people skills, but how you view people matters, right? How you show up to engage with others, how you view the world, like what's happened to you. And all that starts within you. And I recognize I got a lot wrong with me. So I, I am grateful for that unit and him for kind of saving my life, if you will directly take me through say uh just because this is formative to what you do now uh what was the unit doing differently how how are they approaching a mental health uh, instance so i globally the concept of crisis intervention which is what this unit did um is the idea where you take people with mental illness and you divert them from jail so first you learn how to identify it you learn how to communicate with them and then you get them to treatment versus Mm -hmm. jail So it's a jail diversion model that starts at the front of the criminal justice system. But this unit got really good at it because we dealt with so many people that were so sick. And the more we did it, the more we perfected it. And what a lot of people think is whenever we go to a new place, often what people assume is, oh, you guys are going to come in here like social workers or something because you worked in the land of rainbows and unicorns. You come from the land of utopia. And that's not true at all because Texas for the longest time was dead last in mental health care 
in its ranking. And what happens is society sucks at something. There's a damn good chance that it's going to need to be handled by the criminal justice system. So in that sense, because we had no assistance or no like um, support, we learned really quickly how to fend for ourselves and deal with these uh, complex societal issues. And that's essentially what put the mental health unit for SAP on the map mm-hmm. was just line level officers dealing with things that upper echelon and management could ever fathom or understand. Was there was there some sort of liaison with mental health professionals as well? Yes. Yeah. It was just something that Joe also pioneered. And uh, they learned from each other. And Joe also identified, um, it was Joe that said, you know, he would watch these social workers show up with clipboards, super in, in, impersonal, man, just mm-hmm. like that check marks off on a clipboard. And this person is in pain, hurting. There's no conversation, like no empathy. And he's like, what if we take our skill set and infuse what we just, what these clinicians need to know and put it together? And that was pretty much where the model was born. So walk us through a, walk us through a, a, a day, a day on the unit. Like what, what, how is it different than regular police? A couple a couple of the main differences was we were in plain clothes. We drove unmarked cars. So that's that's physical, ob- obvious difference, number one. Number two, what made us very different is that we were kind of self-paced, self-driven. We were the only unit of all the police department units that could self-assign calls. So we would look at the CAD system, the computer system, uh, like computer automated dispatch. We would look at it, and anytime we saw a mental health call come up, we could look at the notes, read it, while it was still in the queue before it was ever dispatched, and we could self-assign ourselves to the call. Mm. Never get on the radio, never have to tell dispatch. And again, that created some heartburn for some people because it's like anytime a unit is given autonomy, there's always some, there's going to be some jealousy, some envy, like this isn't fair. Why do they get this perk and we don't? Because they see it as we cherry pick our calls. But the reality was is that there are certain calls that we don't need to respond to as specialists. And then there's some certain calls where it's like, you know, we we know this call is going to take time. So there was kind of three ways that we would show up to a scene. One was we would self-assign and show up. Two was the actual family or the consumer themselves would call us. And the third way was patrol would get on scene, realize it's a mental health call, realize it's going to take more time than they want to deal with. And so then they would ask if we were available, we'd come out and relieve them. So those were kind of the three main ways that we would get dispatched to a scene uh, and show up and help someone. Aside from that, again, we were doing a lot of teaching and training, which is where I'm very blessed because if if the mental health unit was not a teaching unit, I would have never been able to like hone, create, or even maybe even realize my craft. That is now the thing that I like love more than anything is speech, speaking, teaching, and training. And I, I, I would have always been afraid of it if I never was forced into it and then forced to like just stay saturated in it where I just had to do it weekly or every other week and just do it so much and so much and so much and do it from like really poorly to where then I excelled at it to where then it became my passion to where then I like studied it and now have built an entire business around just that, which is speaking, teaching and training. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not lost on me that. Um, and, and I use this and I teach this, I use my own journey of going from fear to like incredible growth. I mean, just again, it's, you know, from truly afraid, not believing in myself, not believing that I could ever speak in front of my peers to then giving a TEDx talk to then like being a main subject in a film to then starting running and growing a business from nothing into a seven figure business that is uh, sustainable and, and doing really well. And so I'm just super blessed. So w- one, one theme that seems to come up regularly that we talk to, uh, besides serendipity idea, talk to a lot of people that are expert, what they do. Um, at what point did both of go, you know what, this is what I'm like, ask the imposter. Cause I guarantee you at one point you're like, I'm shitty. I don't know. I'm Huge. flying by the pants. 
<clears throat> so at what point did you both discover like, you know what, I'm not an imposter. I, the information that I have is value yeah. and I know what I'm I'll say for me, uh, Zach, it was probably three to four years after being on the mental health unit. And I tell people that for the first two years on mental health, I was a major hypocrite. Uh, I still probably in some parts of my life can have a little hypocrisy. I, I think most human beings do on some level somewhere, but for sure, those first, first couple of years on the unit, I was showing up every day telling people all the greatest advice in the world. Take your meds, go to the doctor, do your treatment plan, make your appointments, You know, do what you're supposed to do, act right, be right, all will, all will be well. And then I would go home going through a divorce, most likely, because uh, by the time I was 31, I already had three of them. And you know, I, I remember sitting in my townhouse ac- acutely. So, and, and when I say townhouse, don't think like, oh, wow, this guy was doing well, like on a beach in LA, like Tony. The beach is way too far away, man. And it takes an hour. It's not. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, that means Tony lives four blocks from mm-hmm. the beach in LA. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was just uh, like a duplex. It wasn't anything fancy. And I remember vividly sitting there acutely suicidal, truly contemplating, like, I don't want to live anymore. I'm tired of making these terrible choices. I'm tired of like cheating in every relationship. I'm tired of having kids out of wedlock. I'm tired of making all these choices that create a lot of pain in other people. Like I knew in my heart of hearts that I was a good person, but I just knew that I also would always make the wrong choice for myself. And, um, and so it was like, how can I show up to work every day and have all this great advice? But then I go home and I don't take it myself. And that is, again, the essence of what being a hypocrite is. And I was going through a divorce. My wife was leaving me, taking the kids, rightfully so. And she told me, she's like, look, I hate you. Like, I absolutely fucking despise you. But something's wrong with you. Like, something is truly wrong with you. Now, an interesting part of this story is I live in San Antonio at this time. Still do. San Antonio has level one burn center, trauma, SAMC, one of the best military hospitals in the world. And we have a lot of very physically messed up people in San Antonio. It's Military City, USA. So I see a lot of prosthetics, a lot of burn patients, a lot of people that are missing things. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got all my limbs. I've got a job. I got a paycheck. Like I don't have a right to bitch or complain. I don't have a right or an excuse to justify the things that I'm doing wrong. And when she told me like something seriously wrong with you, I decided, um, you know what, I'm going to go to the VA and just tell them I need help. And uh, yeah, that was that was about 13 years ago. And I just have never quit. I mean, I took a couple breaks for sure, um, but I haven't stopped and I'm still actively in therapy today. And um, that for me, it was two things, Zach, and I know I'm long-winded. It was the decision to start going to therapy, three things in time and space. The decision to start therapy. I was a terrible high school student. I wouldn't have never graduated if it wasn't for sports. And I hated high school, but it was like my safe place to go like have fun because home was not good. I hate, I thought I was a stupid person, honestly. And I remember one day I was sitting in my townhouse, drinking, drunk, staring at my gun belt thinking, I want to die. And in that moment, I had such vivid clarity. You got to go to college. And it was the most bizarre thing. I thought I hated school. Turns out I really enjoyed it. I signed up for college. And so therapy, getting going to college, using that as a positive distraction, and the discovery of stoicism. Those three things for me changed everything. And uh, I started using my story as kind of, I guess, positive ammunition to help other people to kind of uh, love on them, to encourage them. And instead of saying, like, you could be doing this better or different, it was like, here's what I've done wrong and things that I'm doing now to make it better. And and now I'm just, I try to be like a beacon of light and hope for people that are in a dark place as someone that has survived those so far, have been in many, many rock bottoms, and also simultaneously has so far survived it. 
and has created something really beautiful to where we've got 10 people working for us, like doing a really good service throughout the country and uh, North America, I'll say. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, it's, it's what I love about this conversation, Zach, this podcast and Tony, I just met you today. But this podcast is a direct reflection of like our relationship. And we can go from like absolute shit talking to like, let's be serious for a moment. But let's like love on one another and encourage one another. I, I've been in, trying to encourage Zach for years since I've met him. In fact, I was like an early investor before I even knew this was going to be a thing. And I would like want to help Zach however I could. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. And so um, it's all just kind of coming full circle for me. And uh, I really am grateful. And um, yeah, that's just a 72 minute answer to your question. I still struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So what? what is... So I, I, I'll... Answer your question first is while I I feel comfortable talking to people and it doesn't matter what level they are and I know what I know I know what what we're capable of I know what he can do to a crowd or to a person and I know this but it, or as a and he's had such vision and clarity for so long like the guy has never doubted his dream but I have to see things tangibly like plotted out for it to make sense to me and the moment I thought there's a dinosaur in the room chewing <laughs> on a bone I just want to point that out um, but. Dog. There was, we got invited to this conference and it's not going to sound like a big conference, um, but for context for us, it was. And the first time we came to Iowa, Zach was one of the first people I ever met. Um, we did a training at a retail store. So we did a training, we meet Zach and we made friends with him, right? Well, the first time we come out here. But at the time, for context, nine in, Iowa has several local mental health authorities, like governing bodies that ensure that the community gets mental health care in some way. And we had one client and then in Iowa, and then it happened to be where we're at now in Waterloo. And then it trickled down to two. And then we had three. And now the third client said, I think you guys should talk at the Iowa State Associations Conference. Yeah. It was called ISAC. And I said, well, what's this? She's like, trust me, all Iowan leadership will be there. You guys should go. And Joe hears ISAC and he's like, I'm on board. Right, right. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> Did you say my sack? My sack. Um, our sack. Uh, their sack. So, uh, uh, and, uh, so like, yeah, sounds good. And she's like, you, you're going to want to dress up for this because all of Iowa government leadership will be there. And we're like, yeah, just tell us what you want to do. And they're like, we're going to give you a whole day. I was like, it's a conference and you're giving us a whole day. They're like, yeah. So you're going to show the film. Joe's going to give a keynote. And then you're going to talk about the sequential intercept model. And I'm like, all right, we're in. And the sequential intercept model is just a framework for what, what we do as a business. And that room was filled of so many like naysayers and haters in the morning. And afterwards, man, I've I we had that crowd in the palm of our hand. And that led to this cascading effect of the entire state of Iowa being our client in this in this space anyway. And then from there I was like, you know what? Um we can do this. Like we can do we can do this. Joe almost got killed by the dinosaur. Oh my god. Joe tried to lock him out and he's like, fuck you, you are. Jeez, dude. But but even even like so Zach, I recently had a bad case of it. So this uh we we brought on this woman named Michelle White and she did, you know, decades in law enforcement. She was in the army and then she did a uh, school resource officer uh leadership and she ran a student CCIT school. She retires. And this is another factor, right? Really capable and successful people want to work with. And she's like, I want to work with you guys. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I'm retiring. I want to come work for you guys. And we brought her on. And uh, one of the clients said, hey, she works with kids. She's like, yeah, I used to run our children's crisis course. You should bring that to Iowa. And they were the clients were super interested. And I, and I met with her and I said, hey, we're at a Starbucks. And I said, hey, um, she's like, I want to say something first. And I said, uh-oh. 
She's like, I got offered this really high paying job for this health system. And I was like, that's it. We're losing her. I can't afford to pay her that. Right. 140 a year. I can't. I'm sorry. You got it. Bye. She's like, no, no, no. I turned it down because I believe in this so much. She's like, I'm all right doing this like part time whenever I can contractually until like you guys are ready. And I said, well, I'm glad you said that because I want to task you something. I want you to build us a children's crisis course, an adolescent crisis course. And she starts like tearing up and she's like so excited. She's like, this is my dream. Thank you. And then uh, she was so happy about it. She posted about it. And I thought that's in good hands. The clients are going to love it. But sadly, you know, she passes away um, over Thanksgiving weekend last year and it never came to be. So the client still, it was still in the contract. They still wanted it, but I had to finish it. I had to make it. And I, I did. And I remember standing there as like, I'm not, it shouldn't be me. I'm not worthy of this. Like no one's going to care or listen, but I, I do have confidence in us and what we do and, and what matters. And I, I've learned to, the way we operate is, is it's his vision. He says what he wants to happen. And then my job is to like go and pave the way and make it happen somehow. But I, I don't question anymore. But the last time I had imposter syndrome was trying to teach the Michelle White course because we named it in honor of her, but it still happens. So we're, we're, we're talking about uh, visiting Iowa, visiting other locales. Uh, how did that come about? I mean, were you reaching out? Uh, were you doing this uh, outside of law enforcement? How did you get outside? side of, of, of law enforcement and start doing this as a, as a business. Yeah. So it's, it did start out as just a side hustle. Uh, a lot of cops do overtime, make money again. I'm, I was paying, you know, three G's a month in child support. So I had to work a lot of overtime and, uh, but I didn't love it. And so I, I, I was already teaching mental health. I was already teaching CIT and I had, you know, we knew there was a need when, when Jessica was bringing people down 10 and 15 at a time from Jessica being your wife, my wife now. Yes. When she was bringing people down, um, I, I was like, man, if, if they're bringing all these people down here, they're spending a lot of money at the same time there, there was some, something they referred to as tours in San Antonio and people would come to look at our center for healthcare services, which is the local mental health authority. And they would tour our homeless shelter and they would look at our access center and they always had me go represent the police department. And I would speak on the behalf of the police department, talk about like what our role was in that care continuum. And I had several police chiefs, sheriffs, judges, elected officials for the span of probably a year and a half say something to the effect of, Hey, like after the meeting was over, they would say like, Hey Joe, you should, you should really consider, uh, starting your own business. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like immediate insecurity triggered. Again, back to imposter syndrome. Like, how could I ever start a business? I don't know anything about business. I don't have an MBA. Hell, at that time, I didn't even have college. Like, uh, well, actually, I, I I did have like a college degree, but but it wasn't in business. It was just in criminal justice. And I was like, there's no world in which I'm going to start a business. And so I'm talking to one of my Marine Corps buddies one day, uh, Raugi. We call him Walking Bush. He's a Cuban guy, very hairy. Lives in Miami, naturally. And uh, and I'm telling him, like, hey, bro, like, you know, I, I keep hearing these these people telling me I should start a business. And he was like, bro, bro, have you heard of UE? And I was like, what? This That's is exactly his words. That's, That's a direct exactly quote. what it sounded. And he's like, bro, have you heard of UE? And I'm like, what are you saying, dude? Calm down. Like, he's how about, hey, text me. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, bro, EBV. Have you heard of EBV? And I'm like, no. And he said, bro, it's the Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, dude, I went to it. I went to Florida State. It's free. It's like a crash course, 38-day MBA at a major university. So I was like, tell me more. So he sends me the information. I apply. Texas A&M calls me, says, hey, we saw your application. And I, I was like, 
super worried about it because I was like, look, I'm not very, I don't know if I'm a good student of this. I don't have a business yet. I just have an idea. And so the dean of the business school calls me. We talked through it and he was like, yeah, I think you're a good candidate. Let's do it. So I did a 30 day like online program. Then they bring you out there to, I went to A&M. I did a nine day like residency. It was phenomenal. It's like 16, 18 hour days. Everyone's pouring into, you're learning everything you can about business. And then I went through it, left there on fire, came back, told Jesse, I said, man, we're going to start a company. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to get a thing called an LLC. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to get it and I'm going to apply for this. I'm going to make it happen. And uh, I'm going to pick a website. When I left that school, by the way, our original company name, which I think is fun because no one knows this story. People ask like, what's up with Solution Point Plus? And I just smile. It means absolutely nothing. It's just better than the alternative. But when I left A&M, I left and our company before it was formed was going to be named City Force Plus. It <laughs> 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 sounds so, like a shitty video game that came out in like 1999. And so they even had their people like uh, graphic designers build a, a logo for us. And it was like a, a C and an F and the edges of them were like human arms connected. Oh God. It was, it was like Caligula. So, um, yeah, I, I was like, you know what? I don't know about this, but I went to Google name generator, typed in a couple buzzwords. I just saw solution point to what I did know is what they were explaining to me about the name is the, the plus sign and the word plus based on what we do made sense. It's one, it's positive two, it means and more. And so I was like, well, I don't like City Force, but I love the plus. And so I knew that was going to stay and uh, did a name generator come up with Solution Point. And I asked Jesse, he was like, I like it. Jesse's just, Jesse is very agreeable, which I love because I can just be like, hey, man, anything of this? He's like, yep, let's do it. And we're like, yeah, it's a great idea. And uh, so I found Solution Point. I was like, you know what? People got problems. We got a solution. We are the point. Point is like uh, being the point man in the military and law enforcement means like to lead. Uh, and so you, to be the point man is a big deal. And so I just, I like the way it kind of flowed and came together. Um, so that's the name. And now what I love is the CEO of this company is like, that name means nothing to nobody, but it gives me like an aim point. I want that to be like a household name nationally, internationally, when it comes to like first responder resilience, first responder wellness, Solution Point Plus is a name that was created out of nothing. And that's the, that's the goal for us on top of eradicating suicide amongst all first responders, starting with police. So uh, how has the response been to uh, uh, nationally, the places you've been? Obviously, you've got uh, yeah. more people that are willing to listen uh, and, and yeah. ad adapt. But uh, how would you say this philosophy is is blossoming? Is it blossoming? Is it, is it something you see that... It's, it, it's complex because... There's a f there's a few points I want to make because beautiful question. We have never like done marketing or have a campaign or anything, right? Everything we've done is what's just right in front of us. Uh -huh. So someone will bring us to go to a job, and we also have a unique business model because law enforcement is is rarely rarely our client. It's usually a third party entity, often a local mental health authority or a nonprofit or a hospital that will pay for us to go do training for law enforcement because it's going to benefit the ecosystem uh -huh. of this world. So law enforcement goes in there pissed, man. They're not happy that they're going to go to this like mental health training. What the fuck is this? Right? Like, And they're often made to. And when they go, they go kicking and screaming. And you can, you can sense their lack of uh, interest when they're there on say day one. But, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Is what happens when you bring whiskey. I wish this was a video podcast right now. Children. A couple of children, me and Joe, fucking around yeah. while Jesse's being serious. No, 
<laughs> it, it's whiskey. And um, when we do our thing, it, it pays off. And they, by the end of it, they leave transformed and they get who we are. They learn about us. Like we, we win them over every time, uh-huh. but it, it's usually that's the way it kind of goes. So they're not excited about us there. It isn't well received, but once they get it, I mean, they're hugging the sky. They're sending us long texts. They're posting us and you know, they're sending emails. We just got one today, like the best training they ever did. And so two things happen after a training. One of two things. Either they will say that it changed them, that they were considering dying by suicide or they were considering um, that they were in a low place and that we helped them. Or the ones we got today is I went to this call and I know before your training, I would have handled it so poorly and I could see where I would have gone before. And I was able to help this person. This person was crying and thanked me for helping them. And I only did that because you guys taught me this. Mm-hmm. So those two things usually happen within a month. In this case, the next week, that is very, very common. So it has been a slow-moving kind of cascade ripple. It isn't as big as as we as we'd like it to be because I mean he wants to take over everything, mm-hmm. but we can also we can only do what's in front of us, and we can only scale as fast as we can. But that's usually what happened. Um, and all our work is by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Someone goes to tell someone else, tell someone else, and it's always been word of mouth. And we have like a ultra high retention rate of our clients. Yeah, it's it's uh, no embellishment, Tony. I mean, our, our customer retention is about 98%. Um, we maybe have one client that hasn't renewed, but for us to do a one-off job and never go back is almost unheard of. And uh, again, back on the serendipity kind of theme of this is while we have, I would say we've scaled appropriately based on our ability to manage it. Um, we haven't tried, we haven't put marketing out there, we haven't done any ad spending, we haven't done any of that. But if I had to create some collateral that would be what we would refer to as social proof, I would say we have a 98% customer retention rate, uh, we have zero marketing spend, and we are just shy of a $2 million a year business. Mm-hmm. Our our revenue is, is about just under two, and we have uh, like... 40% profit margin. So it, our expenses, we thought were high, but then we talked to other people in the business and they laugh at us. There's no fucking way you guys are making 40% profit. Like we, I think we, industry we standard on net profit gain is about 7%. Um, and so we're doing about 44.5% on net profit gain. Which Well, I imagine, yeah, not having to invest in the advertising itself is, is right. huge. We don't, we don't have a brick and mortar. We did have an office for a while, but we were never there. <laughs> I used it for my doctoral work initially. And then like we got so busy... That, if there's anything that we've sacrificed, man, it's time. This we, we we're, we're, we're gone a lot. Mm-hmm. We're gone a lot. I, 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 another question I have is: uh, Do you see any difference yeah. in in engagement uh, between metropolitan and say rural jurisdictions? Yeah, it's a, another beautiful question, and uh, you know what's interesting, Tony, is we m- almost always are only hired in the more rural areas. Now mm-hmm. we have worked with Shreveport, Louisiana, which was a large department. We've worked with the Illinois State Police, which was the largest department at about 1,700, and then like Greensboro, North Carolina. But for the most part, our niche is kind of in that smaller uh, agency that just lacks the funding, lacks the Mm. talent, lacks the ability to do anything in-house. And so we kind of bring a solution to their problem. A lot of large agencies, they believe they have all the talent they need internally. And so they just task somebody with doing the job at hand. And so it's been an interesting thing. Most of our work has been rural areas. Again, honestly, I think Iowa equates to probably 40, 40 to 45% of our entire business, which does scare me. Um, you know, one, I don't want to be and then a Bureau seen as like yeah. an Iowa-based training company, but two, I'm very much in love with the state of Iowa because 
they do uh, keep us afloat for sure. And then um, our primary client is the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And um, we have a five-year contract with that. Well, it was a one-year contract with four years option. So uh, we just started the third year of that. So there's only a couple years left on that. And, you know, it, again, that's that's kind of the, I tell people, you know, Jesse and I both have a mental illness. We both have PTSD diagnosed through the VA. And a symptom of PTSD is like recklessness and impulsivity. impulsivity. And what a better like way to manage your symptom than go into business for yourself uh, because it is reckless Mm -hmm. and we are super impulsive and we are taking risks. And I'm sure you know this as, as an actor in LA, Tony, like there's no guarantees. You're always hoping for the next thing to happen. Right. You're, you're kind of betting on yourself daily. You believe it. And, um, and yeah, and, and it's kind of directly correlate to your belief in yourself, honestly, which goes back to Zach's imposter syndrome. I think if we were doing this back when I felt the way I did, there's no way it would work. Now, uh, in fact, you know what? I'm going to tell you something that like just happened today that I'm struggling with. I've been trying to put this book out for the better part of two years. I have, as of today, about two hours ago, uh, 58 rejection letters. We, My, my uh, collaborator on the book, he felt great about this. We thought we were ready to go. I love it. I am so proud of the proposal that we have. And I can visualize this book on the shelves and I see it. I know it's coming, but we just got rejected again today. And so there's like, for me personally, it's like, okay, so what do we do with this, right? The stoic mindset is, is it in my control or is it not? This is in my control. Everyone can say no, but I can still guarantee you it's going to come to a shelf somewhere. And what that process looks like, I might not know. Do I have to self-publish? Possibly. Do I have to find someone else? Possibly. But um, we get also a lot of losses, told no rejected. It's not for us. We go after a grant or an RFP and it's like denied. And those are things. And so, um, but for me, when I saw this, no, it's like, I'm going to feel my feels. I'm pissed off. I'm frustrated. I'm bummed out, but it doesn't change the fact that I absolutely see this thing on a shelf and it's going to help a lot of people. And so, uh, I'll just get back on it tomorrow, grind and keep going and, and I'll make it come true. And that's because I actually believe in what I'm doing. And I don't doubt it for a second. I I've, I've learned that if this guy believes it, it's going to happen. Are you getting any feedback? A lot of feedback. Yeah. I mean, and the problem is it's conflicting feedback. Too much of an autobiography. Joe doesn't have a big enough following. He's a nobody. He doesn't have 200,000 social media followers. That's probably the biggest thing is they all want him to have like 300 uh-huh. followers on Instagram. You know what, you know what really fucking help with that? He had a fucking best-selling book. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, like just publish the fucking yeah. book, guys. Well, that's the problem yeah, yeah. Is you got to be a New York Times best-selling author, A-list celebrity, 200 to 300,000 social media yeah. followers. Which is, which is fucked up because- which is why I told him he needs to call Selena Gomez right now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, you know, you're not alone. You're not alone. I mean, in my industry, I mean, there's a lot of projects that they, they vet first how many followers someone has. Yep. So you might not even make the list, even if right. you're you know capable. Yep. Yeah. The, the, the chick who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey was a Twilight fanfic writer before she wrote that book. Yeah. Like self-published? Zach actually said this when, when we were growing our company, I'll never forget this because it's been really hard to grow our company because to grow our company, we have to have more people. And I'll never forget, I had a conversation with Zach and he said, you know, Joe, as you bring people on, they might be good. You might vet them, 
They could have all the experience in the world, but they're not going to have that it factor. They're not going to have that thing that you and Jesse have, that like dichotomous relationship of like the fun and the serious and like the playful and the research-based and the evidence-based with the like witty-based. And and I at that moment, I was like, no, 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 we'll get it. But he's been absolutely right. And that's not a knock on any of people on our team. We have phenomenal, phenomenal speakers, teachers, trainers. And the people that have never seen us don't know any different. And so that's great. But the people who have will often say things like, no, that was good. It was good, but it wasn't you. And so it's like, how do you communicate that? How do you put that in collateral? How do you sell that until... And I tell people, we don't sell trainings, we sell experiences. But if you don't go through it, you don't actually get to know what that means. And so... um, but, but yeah, Tony, you're absolutely right. And honestly, and people send me like, hey, you know, Harry Potter and and Fifty Shades of Grey and this person got 474 rejections and like this person got, yeah, I know <laughs> it's it's a long, arduous process. <laughs> the no doesn't stop me, but I also know that's where most people will quit. Yeah, You tell me no, I give up. And I'm just like, you tell me no, I know you just mean not now and you're not the right person for me. I'm going to find the right home for it. And I trust it. Yeah. I really think we're also spoiled that we've had so many like serendipitous beneficial events where we got a like a series of like this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome, where you get a lot more like good things as opposed to things that are setbacks. And uh it is a humbling experience. It's just frustrating that I we know what he has. Mm-hmm. They just are missing it, right? So we have to live part. we have to live our 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 rejections so, you know only we live them yeah, you know yeah. nobody else is, is right, living right. those so right right but i don't know i don't know if you I, I think the 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 thought process of thinking that you're spoiled is what might be in your head like what's got you in your head because most people who have success have been spoiled you know what i mean like yeah. they fell into things like yeah. they worked hard like i don't want to take anything away yeah. from hard work yes but it's like you're right you so know we we one could say like you guys took over Iowa, but it was like a perfect storm of things. So Iowa is like an anomaly for many reasons. There's no like governing law enforcement education body. Um, there, the local mental authorities have money, and because there's like limited resources or options, they don't know what to do with it. And law enforcement literally have no training in rural settings, like none. So like this, we just came at the right place, right time, right? And it's kind of like has expanded from there. So yeah, you, you're right, man. You are right. But also like you could come in there and offer this. And if you weren't good at it, well, then no one would want it again. So it, it just, I, I see exactly what you're saying. Well, and there's the hard work. Right. Like there, right there's right. the hard work. Yeah. There's the legitimacy yeah. is, you know, yeah, yeah you might've had some fortuitous events that let, got you in the door, but then right. it's the hard work and legitimacy that keeps you in the house. Correct. I'll tell you this, we have a, I'm not even going to call him a competitor and I'm not being shitty. There is a company that came and observed our training, said, we can do this. They are in Iowa, based in Iowa, and they've offered to our clients directly, we will do exactly what they're doing for free because we're a nonprofit. 100% of the regions throughout Iowa said, get out of our face. Solution Point Plus is our company. We would rather pay a really hefty penny than have you guys do this for free. That to me is a testament to like our work. Absolutely. Who we oh, are. Yeah. When, you, when you choose six-figure contracts over free, I think that to me is is a is an incredible testament testimonial to to who we are and the work that we've done. Which is which has uh, been a challenge for us because going in other places, people do choose free. And what I've learned is, whenever it comes to this topic, it seems to you know capitalism also becomes a bad word. It's a social work type job, or it's mental health. It should be for free. You should give it away. It's for the betterment of good, uh, for the better of society. Like, why do you guys charge? Or what I've what I've learned is that frame of thinking 
has killed quality training. Because if there isn't like a competitive market and, and you're not paying for quality training, you're not paying for good experience and it's not leading to change, which is why like you just bring some random social worker in to like read a PowerPoint mm-hmm. to a bunch of cops, it's not going to land and it's not going to transform them. We believe our experience is what causes the behavior change. Um, and I love that Zach called this the it the factor, man. Uh, I think that's cool that you say well, that. You know, and it's like you can apply that to I've seen it in stand-up. Yeah, you get a, a guy who'll come in and do a, a show for free. <laughs> He'll do it once. You know, they ain't going to have him back. That's true. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, yeah, it fucks all the guys that wanted to, to work that gig mm-hmm. and get paid, but he's not coming back to that same spot. Yeah. And that's the same thing for you guys. Like, yeah, you could go offer, the, the this company could come in and offer it for free. It ain't going to be what you, I, I'm, in, I'm in a very unique position. Yes, like full disclosure, you guys are my friends. Like 100%. I, I, I fell into a weird place where we just happened again, serendipity, happened yeah, to yeah. kind of be in the same place at the same time. Thank you, internet. You know, like yeah. I, I saw the documentary. Um, I was able to connect with, it's strangely, I, I saw the documentary, but then somehow, I, I don't even remember how I landed internet wise on like what was going on. And uh, Jesus Christ, Hank. <laughs> so. Dinosaur went through the table. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even remember because, because actually Jesse and I became friends first. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And, and, and then well, I, someone was in love and, and, uh, yeah, and had distracted gout, right? <laughs> and, and, and he also, he had it fucked gout. up. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, so Jesse and I became friends first and like through some weird serendipitous thing. So then like I, I we became friends and then I, I became aware of what they were doing and I was like, oh shit, you know, I like, I have some tech background, like, Hey, what do you guys need help with? How can I help you? How can I, I know Photoshop? Like literally I'm sucking these guys dicks because like, I, no I think what they're doing is cool. Literally counting sperm. <laughs> and like, and, and so like, I kind of just trip and fall into this. <laughs> and then I also have the fortune to be able to sit in on some of these trainings and watch these guys work. And like no bullshit, even though they're my friends, like I've never seen and I've seen a lot of like I've seen a lot of shit. I've seen people work a room. I've never seen a, people hold a room the way these guys hold a room. Thanks, man. Like it, it, the, the way that they connect with people and the way that they make it a, you know, I, I, I that was Joe jacking him off under the table. For oh, saying, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Tony, back with pro quo. <laughs> so, but Which, I mean, Tony's worst mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's giving you a virtual hand. Uh, uh, so, uh, so I mean, luckily today, for example, um, since I knew they were going to be in town, I took some time and I was like, "Hey, I'm going to swing by and watch you guys work." You know, and, and it was and, cool having you in the class, man. Yeah, it was, it was great being there. I love watching you guys work. And Joe walks in the first five minutes of the class. He's saying shit that would get him canceled pretty much anywhere else. And everybody else is everybody in the fucking class is like, this is what we're here for. This is fucking great. And it's just like it's that ability to to connect with an audience. And I liken it to stand up because I said some shit on stage that you could not get away with anywhere else. And I was not particularly good. Like I was not successful. So like to watch you do it. And, and be successful and then to pitch jesse as the straight man and to watch him today be like so maybe you should just shut the fuck up jesse has come <laughs> so far even to me i'm a little i'm a little like, different like, than 20, because, 2018 i'll say 
Uh, well, it's just like alpaca out of fucking nowhere. Like, you know, it's like, wait for his moment, wait for his moment, wait for his moment, dunks on motherfuckers, yep. you know? And so, so, and that's what I mean by uh, it factor. And even back then, that's what I meant is like, you have this, this cohesive thing that happens and this ability to connect with people, which obviously was why you guys were both successful on the unit because you could connect with people on their worst fucking day. Right. And so, so people saw that uh, there's the nightline abc nightline that, that changed things yeah I, abc nightline focus piece that they did um and then that abc nightline focus piece turned into ernie and joe crisis cops which was an emmy did they do win for editing or nominated no so so yeah, so emmy award yeah. winning HBO documentary that is still running on HBO, yeah. which is amazing because like yeah. uh, two years ago it was supposed to be done and it's still running on HBO because it's fucking amazing. So if you have HBO watch Ernie and Joe Christ Scops, and I've talked about it on my other pod- podcast too, which all four people were like, yeah, we'll watch it. <laughs> that wasn't misinformation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing yeah, that yeah, wasn't yeah. misinformation. Um, so, uh, you know, but if you have HBO, watch it. If you don't have HBO, sign up for the 14-day fucking trial. Watch it for free. Um, you may be able to find it on YouTube, but I prefer you watch it on HBO because are there residuals, Joseph? No. No? Okay, well, then no, watch it. No, there are on. not. <laughs> I can answer that question for you. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Joe was fucking part of a three-year qualitative study, and that's what the fuck happened. Got yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they followed you for three years, right? Fucking insane. Three years of film and 300 hours of footage condensed to 96 minutes. No wonder they won an Emmy for editing. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Toby Shimon is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, and so, the director said, yeah. she's like, I don't know what to do with this. I have too much footage of so many things and I'm too close to you guys. I, I don't, I don't, uh, mm. I, I can't get a clear picture. I, I think I'm too vested now. And she's like, I need to get an editor. I was like, well, whatever that means. And apparently she knew what she was doing because that she won it. Yeah. Did you know your uh, your audio guys from Cedar Falls? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Paul yeah. Tui. Yeah, we made yeah. we made friends on Twitter. Me and him. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Paul Tui is a great guy. Paul Tui is the reason why Kevin Smith unblocked me on Twitter. Really? Yeah, because we were talking about Kevin Smith movies together. Kevin Smith sees it, and I'm like, oh shit, Kevin Smith just liked that tweet. Hey, Kevin, I'm really sorry that I was a fucking immature asshole and said some inappropriate shit years ago. Uh, hopefully, you will see your way to forgiving me. Because I was talking to Paul through my personal Twitter, not through my podcast Twitter. I was like, because on this Twitter, I fucking offended you. And I switched over to the other Twitter, I'm blocked. And Paul's good shit. Because Paul also, uh, I, I think he went to U of A maybe also. Like, there were some weird connections between me and, and Paul that, like, made us Twitter friends. Yeah, I know his. When we start, when we start coming out here, he's I think his mom still it. lives out in Cedar Falls. He lives in Buffalo now. Oh, God, why? Just wanted to be up there. He's you think fucking stuff. Iowa's cold? <laughs> I know. Oh, fuck. I know. He just sent me a picture of Canada across the water. Yeah. So, yeah, Paul's great. Yeah, great he's dude. good shit. Next time you talk to him, tell him I said hi. Like, yeah, good shit. I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> Got you, Tony. <laughs> hey, but, Paul. Tony said hi. Tony who? I don't know. Let me ask Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, you know, I, I think it's important that we mention the documentary because if you really want to know what was formative and led to these guys creating their business and you really want to see what a day to day was on the mental health unit, watch Ernie and Joe crisis cops, 
because there's some really good shit in there. Indeed. Um, there's some there's some TV magic. There's some documentary Indeed. shenanigans, you know. But but I mean, you'd be Emmy. ignorant to think there wouldn't be, right? I mean, it's like saying, "Oh, wrestling's real." No, it's not. Whoa. The athleticism is real, Tony. It's predetermined. Okay. That's not serendipity. No, well, no, no, uh, no. I mean, okay. Listen, in WrestleMania three, <laughs> Mr. T was there, but they knew what was going to happen. All right. So you use Mr. T as an example today. I have to, I have to, but, but the problem with Mr. T is it because he wasn't. No, no, that was, that was the best part. But the problem with Mr. T is Mr. T isn't just masculinity. Mr. T is telling you, listen to your mama. Uh, Drink yes. your milk, yeah. you know. So I, I, yeah, yeah. I'll add more to it. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I, next time, yeah, I'll add that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. He was, I can't wait. He was, a, wait. he was moral authority for us. Yes. Yeah. He's like just, yeah. just so you know, Mr. T. There, as he's like an onion. Separate yourself from Clubber Lang. <laughs> yeah. I remember just, <laughs> just as an aside, I remember when they had Wide World of Sports and they had the bartender games. Or bouncer games, or something like that. And Mr. T, that was the first time Mr. T had done anything, and he was in, he was contestant in this bouncer competition on Wide World of Sports. Did he throw everyone over an eighty-two Crown Vic? Yeah, that's 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 his thing. And then some older dude came up and shot him, and he fell asleep, and they took him out on a plane. I don't know. Yeah, but but anybody else he tried to shoot, anybody else he tried to shoot, he'd miss, and then he'd just brag about how he loved it when a plan came together. I miss the eighties so much. I wouldn't be able to tell that by this room. Yeah. yeah. Not me. That's when that's when I got molested. <laughs> I just I'm just God damn it, dude. I, that is what happens when Joseph drinks it's whiskey. It's fucking dark, man. It's so dark. I, I don't miss it. <laughs> I'm glad you do. I mean, I just want to know what was wrong with me. Part of me, there was a part of me an hour ago that thought he's gonna do that, and then he didn't, and I'm like, we're safe. <laughs> you I are mean, never safe. You didn't feel I mean, safe. Why should we? <laughs> <laughs> Bring the dinosaur back. Where is he? I need love in the room. <laughs> You're a sick bastard. Oh yeah, we're. Except I mean, Tony. Tony's a Renaissance. Yeah, man. Tony is a Renaissance. You're a gentleman and a scholar, yes. Tony. <laughs> and a stoic. Yes. Hell yeah! Now you're talking dirty. Mm-hmm. You're getting Joe aroused. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that I, I think that what you guys have been able to do and, and and the path that you've taken to do it. Well, first of all, it's like about as fucking American as you can possibly be. I mean, it's stupid American. Like, fuck yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. We build a whole fucking fence. <laughs> fuck you guys. Yeah. So but like, I mean, it really is because you, you, you took a thing that. It, it, nobody thought could be done with with the uh, the the approach of law enforcement with mental health, right? Yeah, it, actual the the essence of community policing. You can't sell what people get told. free. Can't be done. So it's like you you guys take that and then you take it and you go. You know what? We're not just going to do it for us and our jobs. We're going to market that out and be like, you know what? More people can benefit from this. And then you say, also, fuck this job. <laughs> I'm leaving. A lot. Fuck it a lot, a lot. Because we, we didn't really talk about that a whole lot, but there was lot. some conflict. I don't know what's happened in the last two hours, but your dogs went from hating my guts 
to loving you to so much. So well, much love. I, yeah. Hank likes whiskey, and it's probably coming out of your pores at this point. So no, it's because yeah. they got closer. They can now understand you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Looking at Bert, he speaks Spanish. <laughs> Baxter, you know I don't speak Spanish. I think Bert speaks pig Latin, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Polish. I don't want to keep you guys too much longer, but it's crazy. So while what you did was incredibly American, the struggle to get there was indicative to the problem with culture in policing, which is what you guys are trying to solve. Yeah. So, you know, knowing, knowing what I know about your, uh, about your path, you're on the mental health unit, which is incredibly progressive. It's funding is under the bike patrol, right? Because you can't get any real funding uh, earmarked for it. So you have to literally beg, borrow and steal the money to get the mental health unit to continue to, to, to operate. I wrote a lot yep. of grants. Right. Yeah. And grants are yeah. pretty much, if you want to get anything done, yeah. grants are where you get the money from grants. So all of these successes happen. The agency touts them as successes, but won't put the resources behind it that it needs to. Right. Ah, uh, Zach had discovered the stepchild syndrome of the unit. Yeah. Right. Well, or of just. Uh, community policing in general, in general from right, right. what I've seen from documentaries and whatnot. So, so, so you, you have that, they want to, they want to tout the successes without putting the investment in. They, they want to bury you at every turn because you are a, as much as you hate to admit it, Joseph, you're a left leaning guy in law enforcement. Because you believe in people, you believe that people deserve a chance to succeed, Uh, you believe in social programs, you believe in all this stuff, like all the joking you and I do about our opposite political views and yada, 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 right? You are very left-leaning as far as law enforcement. Absolutely correct. So so they want to bury you there because you're a a bruised thumb. You stand out, you're swollen, uh, you look different than everybody else. Right? Zach's toe, more. Right. Zach's, yeah, Zach's pinky toe. It's getting better. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they want to bury you because you speak out against the establishment, so to speak, right? Even though what you're doing is benefiting them so much, politically, recruiting, optics, recruiting yeah. all this stuff. Everything. Right? So they're starting to bury you, even though uh, what the mental health unit is doing yeah. is, is successful. And then you guys have this this side hustle at the time that's doing really well. And so you have Hearts and Dreams, Joseph Smarrow. And then you have Mind and Planning. Logic and Reasoning. Uh, uh, Jesse Trevino, right? And and then you get into a moment where they're like, we will fucking end both of you. Yeah. And, I, and I'll, I'll just say, too, that like while I was super frustrated um, at the time going through it, I can tell you right now, Jesse and I would both still work for the San Antonio Police Department if the chief was supportive, leadership was on board, and everything went the way it should have. Not the way I think it should have, but the way it should have went. But because of their lack of leadership and incompetence, and because of their frustration or fractured ego syndrome, it pushed me out, which at the time was terrifying. I would have never had the courage to leave if not for my therapist and my misery. It was those two things that came together. It was like, look, I've got it. I can't keep doing this. I'm so unhappy. Jesse will tell you, like, I'm a very usually like, even if it's not fully genuine in the moment, like I'm a pretty upbeat, happy guy. 
And for 18 months, I was really in a dark place. Like I just could not get out of it. I, it was like, no matter what I did, the, the people on the unit loved me. They all came to me. They were trying to inspire me and encourage me, but I knew like I'm kicking the goats here. I cannot stop this. There was, there was a new social worker that had just come to the unit. He made a comment like, it's interesting that you have this movie about you that's like all this positive and you're one of the most negative people I've ever met. And that moment was telling because she'd only been around a little while and her perception of him was in that moment. And I was watching my friend behave in a way that I didn't recognize. Like he was beat down. Like they put a muzzle on him. It took everything they could from him. And that's not who he is. And it sucked for me to see that happen. I, I, no, I, I, I was... Not trying to get very political here, but there's a tangent here that, that goes to the defund the police ideal you know, where people are saying, let's not put money into the res resources like you guys were promoting, which is what, quote unquote, defunding was supposed to be is like, let's let's throw some money at, at your unit and those type of units uh, so that we can address some of these mental health issues that are causing a lot of, you know, criminal or at least some call, a lot of calls. Yeah. It, it, uh, it was hard. Was, was, I'm sorry. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Finish. I thought you were done. Sorry. No, yeah. no. I, I was just like, so how did that, did, did any of that impact you guys is leaving or is it impacting how uh, you operate now? You know, it, it, it's a, it worked in, in two directions, I guess, um, because Joe was actually going to leave in April of 2020. Uh-huh. And he didn't end up leaving till September. And his role in this, or his his reason for leaving was he had like 10 keynote speeches lined up. And those 10 keynote speeches were, it's his dreaming and calling, right? So he has those lined up. I know I'm going to leave at some point in 2020. As 2020 progressed and happened, I'm sorry. So yeah, and then into 2021. Whenever they found out that he was a white cop doing these talks, they canceled him. Like, you're not going to do these keynotes. We're not going to listen to a white cop come and talk. Mm -hmm. So that was problematic. So it pushed him from wanting to leave in March, April. Now he has to stay. But then the attention to there needing to be change within law enforcement was brought to fruition. And it made the clients want it more. Right. So there was more funding going out for it. There was more talks about it. So it it did. It was a perfect storm. So there was COVID dollars out, mm -hmm. ARP dollars. All this money was out that people were, needed to spend because the government was giving it to them. They didn't know what to do with it. Some of it involved mental health training. Some of it involved de-escalation. And there was our opportunity. So Joe was like, this is my out. I'm leaving. So he leaves in September. I didn't know I was going to leave. So I thought, well, I'm going to go talk to my boss. Hey, boss, I need it from October 1 to January 1 off. And he looks at me like, what did you say to me? I said, I need October 1 and January 1 off. He says, there's no way that's possible. I was like, no, no, I don't need a pay. I, I can take it, leave without absence. He's like, dude, your role is too important. That's not going to happen. I was like, demote me, send me back to patrol. I just need these three months off. There's no way that's ever going to happen, Jesse. So I went back to my desk and I sat there for maybe 10 minutes, just staring at my screen. And I wrote my resignation letter before I'd even talked to him. Um, and there was a sense of me that I just, I just believed in his vision and too many things had happened that were leaning towards that. So it was like this political like storm and, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, so it contributed to it. It, but if they hadn't like pulled Joe away because of the, the optics, he probably would have left sooner, but I think everything happened the way it was supposed to. 
I, I really do. Two, two things. One, it is absolutely incredible to me that they would think we're not going to have a white cop come talk about this. When what the white cop is coming in and saying is we are fucking wrong. Yeah, but we need to fix this, which is the exact person that you need to come talk mm -hmm. about it. Because if you have a minority cop coming in saying we're wrong, it's like, well, yeah, obviously you'd say that. You too. But yeah. if you have a white cop coming and going, no, seriously, I agree with you. We are fucking broken. Yeah. Here is how we can fundamentally at the base level fix what's broken. That's part of the problem is that without even knowing what I was going to say. And this yes, is where, and, and, I, and again, I, I'm going to give credit to my wife, but she was the one that reframed this for me is, and I was like, yeah, but they don't even know what, to your point, Zach, mm -hmm. like they don't know what I'm going to say. And she's like, right. They're canceling you based on just how you look. Now you know how it feels. And oh, like, fuck. Yeah. Ouch. Oh, what a reframe. Oh, right. And so, oh, fuck. Um, God damn it. Jess, but, it but it was a great <laughs> way for me to like, yeah. That. And I was like, okay, that's fair. So it was a great learning lesson for me, but it still sucked. Cause I was like, oh my God, I just lost 10 paid speaking gigs which now changes everything sure and i can't leave when i thought i was going to leave and so that certainly puts a wrench in there so this whole like developing resilience has been happening for most of my life um i just had this moment of uh recall and gratitude it was in hawkeye college where we where i wrote the proposal to the bop for the bid it was we did that work there so like it was in waterloo where that happened do you remember where we submitted it though huh yes on the side of the fucking highway <laughs> next to a cornfield yeah, and <laughs> three minutes short of our deadline. <laughs> <laughs> and well, we I, you know what? I, I think what you're saying is, is really important. Like I said, I, without being too political, I think having you guys talk about this lets everybody know that, you know, cops go through a lot of stuff and people go through a lot of stuff and cops are people. not all of it is, yeah, it comes with being a person, right? That not all of it can be solved by incarceration or, you know, punitive measures that people need to talk, people need to, uh, you know, be listened to. I think that's important and what you guys are doing is very important. I 100% agree because for, I mean, we've known each other for six years 15. now. Oh, six, six, 15. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. Uh, math, uh, like at least six years, I would say. Six and, and, and for, for six years, both of you guys have been telling me, you're like, there's, there's something more, go do something more to go. And it was not until finally when Tony and I started talking about doing this project that I was like, you know what? I need to take some risks. Life is too short to be unhappy. Life is, is, is too short. And, and you guys had repeatedly told me this and like, I had all these Maybe excuses. Maybe a time or two. Yeah. yeah a time or two. <laughs> thousand. And you now, know. and now look, you know, we have pod force plus. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. I wouldn't go with that name. If there's anything I've learned. I don't know. Yeah, I, totally. yeah. Pod force extreme. Really I think is what I go for. people who do yeah. pod, pod force plus. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, in a completely Love. unrelated venture, you know, I've got these two guys telling me like, look, you need to, you need to realize, and, and this is how it uh, unrelated to law enforcement, just a, every problem is a people problem, right? Yeah, man. Every problem. And, and these guys have been telling me for six years, find a thing and Fucking do it. You're good at this, man. You know, you're good at this. Well, thank you. you, you right. And uh, Tony, I just met you, but I can see why he speaks so highly of you and why he's done this with you. So uh, you guys are bringing value to people. Uh, you're entertaining them and you're bringing value. And I can see how these discussions are going to inspire others. 
and you're the avenue for that. You're the the vessel. So congratulations, guys, and it, it was cool doing this. Thank you. I forgot how fun this was. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, and and thank you for for how you've helped me. Oh, yeah. Thank, yes, thank you for being here. Thank and you for yes, yes. Thanks for coming on Pod Force Plus Extreme. <laughs> this is getting better. Powered. Yeah. Pod Force Plus Extreme. People I don't. Do the the thumbnail is very small, Tony. I don't know that it's all. I, I don't know. <laughs> just just, just put flames on it. What if, what if we put flames on it? Yeah. That, oh, absolutely. Uh, always improve yeah. things. Absolutely. Uh, P F plus sign F four P. People who do. Yeah. <laughs> Flames, oh, and flames. 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 Yes. Yes. and flames, yes, and flames, and flames, and flames. Probably, hoverboard. <laughs> probably a, tri- a tribal tattoo. I think for sure gotta, it's on the lower on back yeah. of a small Perfect. Indian. Yes, <laughs> thank you guys for what you do. Hell yeah, yes. love y'all. Love your listeners, the ones who are already here, the ones who have yet to come, and the ones who will uh, come and go. But uh, it's been an honor to spend this uh, last six and a half hours with y'all, <laughs> and. Um, and for those of you that are still listening right now, if you reach out to us, either I'll tell you straight up, Joe at solutionpointplus.com. Oh if you reach out to me oh and boy. say, I listened to all six and a half hours of this podcast, I'm going to send you a personalized gift of some sort. So, oh, okay. um, I can um, <laughs> Zach, I need you to do me a favor, release this shit before you guys actually blow up. Because uh, I'm also going to cap it at three. Read the fine print disclaimer. Um, but no, I, I would, I would, I love it. These long form, I think it's conversational. It's people. It's great. But I also know that we live in a world where people are constantly distracted and they're consuming things in micro doses. And um, and so I, I'm impressed if anyone actually listened all the way through. And hopefully you did. If you did, I would love for you to connect with us. Reach out. Let us know what you got from this. And uh, again, love to you, Zach, and to you, Tony. It's great meeting you. And if there's anything we can ever do for y'all to help you be successful, please let us know. I know a couple things. Except for that. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Love you.